Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Write that. Write that down. Write that. Write that down. Write that down. Write that down. Back to write that down. I'm one of your hosts, Justin Nipper. I write for WrestlingObserver.com and F4WOnline.com, while my other half is Japan's leading pro wrestling author, historian, journalist, broadcaster, the one and only Mr. Fumi Saito. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for all the nice words about our Inoki series, parts one and two. We've gotten probably more feedback than uh, any of our shows so far on these two, so I'm happy to hear that i'm happy that we're really getting into the meat of inoki's career today's part three today's our next installment all right we covered uh, i'm really focused on the years 1974 to 1980 around that time mid 80s to late 70s right in the early 80s that was our stopping point so after inoki and uh, giant bob was all japan they both had established television deals in 1972 the rivalry between the two companies began heating up from here. So we talked about this hot time for pro wrestling in Japan during the mid-70s and the influence of television and print media like magazines, uh, newspapers, Tokyo sports and such. We talk about how not just uh, important it was during the time to wrestling, but just in society and how wrestling, pro wrestling, will forever be locked or linked to television in japan because they sort of debuted at the same time we also went over Inoki's very inventive and very bloody december 1974 match against uh, international wrestling champion strong kobayashi who just passed away in december um we also went over Inoki's year-long feud with tiger jeet singh the famous and one of my personal favorites uh, hour-long bout against carl gotch trainee billy robinson uh, also a series of matches with Andre the Giant and Andre working heel in New Japan, which was new at the time. We talked about Vince McMahon Sr. and his involvement and appearances for New Japan at around this time as well. Um, this subsequently led to New Japan and WWWF's 11-year working relationship. Imagine that today. Just to, to say it is almost a little bit weird, but it's true. This partnership would also lead to Inoki's big, big international breakout bout against Muhammad Ali. And I think many would call this the world's first MMA fight. And we cover that in detail towards the end of the show. So that's it. Next week, we are going to cover... We're going to start with talking about Inoki when he was working with WWWF and he won the WWF title which wasn't recognized by WWE, but he did win it in New Japan, in Japan from Bob Backlund. We're going to talk about his series matches with Backlund, his rivals with Stan Hansen, rivalries, excuse me, rivalries with Stan Hansen, Hulk Hogan, Rusher Kimura, Bruiser Brody, 
and lots more. So if you have questions, comments, whatever, hit us up on Twitter, at Fumihiko Dayo. I'm at Justin M. Nipper. Um, let's get into the show. This is a good one. March 72, Inoki starts. And mm-hmm. October 72, Baba starts. Actually, Inoki starts his New Japan before Baba leaving JWA. That's but, right. Ba- Baba had ch- Channel 4 de- deal right from the get-go, and Inoki didn't have television for one year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you don't have television, you don't exist, right? Yeah, especially Almost. then. Yeah, so they were doing, you know, a 1973 version of Antonio Inoki against Korogachi matches, spring and fall. They did that twice. That they didn't even have television. And Channel 12 uh, did the one special that just they they broadcast his second Korogachi match, like your boxing special. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't even the regular television. It's like all of a sudden, one night they broadcasted Inoki against you know Korogach title match right out of blue and uh, that was it no, no regular television but uh, it, it treated like you're boxing you know world title match kind of thing and and uh, so if you didn't watch it you know the entire year of 70 you know two Inoki didn't exist on TV therefore people didn't know that the, I mean casual people didn't even know that that New Japan even existed then. It's just that the JWTV was still on and Inoki just disappeared and, you know, no, they did not announce why and or how. It just, Inoki wasn't on TV anymore during the year of 1972. It was really weird uh, as a kid because I was like sixth grade. Because all of a sudden, you know, oh, Inoki's not on TV anymore. Oh my gosh, right? And then I asked kids in, in school, it's like, didn't you know? And the other kid, you know, told me, didn't you know he was fired? Why? It's like, <laughs> kids know a little bit of, little bit of little pieces, right? They either hear something or they mishear something. I remember, you know, being in school and you, yeah. For, for my generation, it was always some variation of the ultimate warrior is dead story. Oh, okay. You okay. know what I mean? Everyone's you, like, you yeah, he's that? dead. Yeah. Half the kids believed it, right? Yes, yes. Usually the non-wrestling fans believed it. Mm. But um, because okay. uh, they didn't watch, it was pretty obvious it's the same guy the whole time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, it's, somebody died and they switched it. What was inside the, 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 the painting? Yeah. Uh, underneath the paint and just the, the other guy took over or something? That's what they, uh, yeah, that's what the <laughs> general... Rumor growing up, everyone that was one of the urban legend, urban legend for uh, oh, for like wrestling. First, first uh, Ultimate Warrior is actually dead, and the, the, the right. one you are watching is the second one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's real good kid story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm surprised <laughs> yeah. the company didn't take advantage of it. But hey, but th- that's kind of how it was. You know, it was it was hard to get information on your favorite wrestlers if they weren't on TV. There wasn't an internet, so you had to you really had to go seek it out, didn't you? Ah, yeah, and then some of these kids would read, you know, um, uh, well, those you know, Tokyo sports or Nikkan sports, those newsstand tabloids, news, you know, news, you know, sports papers that comes out every afternoon, and you have to go to subway station or train station to pick it up. But that's aimed for adults, right? 
Mm-hmm. But some kids get to read those. I never did, you know. <laughs> so some of the kids knew better rumors than other kids. Just so 70s, you know. But that's kind of the beginning of also that um, uh, news and print culture that's so deeply connected to wrestling in Japan. It's yeah. The yeah, only right real the info. Yeah. The info mm-hmm. is out, unless it's on the TV show or at the show, it's in the press. You know. Yeah, because in 1960s, early 60s, Tokyo sports newspapers were created just to cover wrestling. Really. That was Ricky Dozen era. But 1963, you know, Ricky Dozen, the king, passed away untimely. And, and But the wrestling went on. Show must you know must go on thing, and Tokyo Sports and other tabloid remain, and they all covered wrestling. It had a lot to do with wrestling survival, you know, and uh, t- TV didn't you know stop, you know that uh, even after Ricky Dozen, they always you know aired primetime wrestling on, on Friday Friday night eight o'clock thing, you know religiously, and people followed it, and. Uh, all the way till like mid 60 what was interesting was that um they rotated you know first week wrestling same time slot friday night eight o'clock channel four second week disney world disney and third week wrestling and fourth week disney again isn't that interesting i feel like uh, pro wrestling in japan is so deeply connected to tv media Media. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah. And it, it would be strange to pull wrestling off of television because it seems like wrestling has been on television for as long as television has been in Japan. Oh, that's it, though. That's it, though. Because Ricky Dozen made television famous and television made Ricky Dozen famous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Television made wrestling pro wrestling famous and pro wrestling, wrestling made television popular mm-hmm. because people are buying TV sets at your home so you can watch wrestling every week. <laughs> well, the, actually, the first week wrestling, like I said, second week, same, same time slot, Disney, and third week uh, wrestling again, and fourth week, same time slot, Friday night, 8 o'clock, Disney. So it was like a blue-color audience to white-color audience to blue-color audience to white-color audience. It was so controlled or something mm. in hindsight. Had to reach out to everybody because there was a big difference in television in Japan versus in the States. I mean, because the States are so geographically yeah. big, if you lived in New York, you of course you knew California existed, but if you didn't see it on TV, right. you never thought about it. And you, you never thought about that there could be uh, two or three or more different kinds of pro wrestling out there because you're just in the States, you're living in your own world because... It's just uh, a, the country is so big. Yeah. And whereas Japan is the size of what California. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so and that also is like a national television. Right. Yeah. It, it t- completely changes the idea of like you know in Japan it's it's a, a big enough country to where you can get a signal from the top of the island to the bottom. Where in the states it's just the signals <laughs> run out and everybody had to, every town had their own you know local yeah television. local station yeah and then local radio stations and so, local yep. newspapers. Yeah, it, it was the only there, way. There, there you have 50 states, it's like a 50 different countries then. Almost, yeah. Almost, so, almost. Right, right. So really... So, but the, the, every single network station in the states, like, a, you know, the CBS, ABC, and NBC, now it's Fox too, but the, every major station is out of New York. But the movies come from 
California, Hollywood. Movies, TV, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So West Coast and East Coast, always like a big rival, I guess. I guess culture, so, yeah. Pop, pop culture, too. Pop culture, back to sure. this, Yeah. <clears throat> back to this wrestling thing that the year of 1973, Antonio Inoki and New Japan Pro Wrestling did not exist on TV. So that uh, 72 okay then in the beginning of 73 seiji sakaguchi and his you know his guys like kengo kimura and ozawa you know masashi ozawa later on he becomes killer khan right they join new japan leaving jwa and new japan roster got so you know a lot bigger and tv asahi switched affiliation from jwa to new japan then jwa all JWA, Nippon Pro Wrestling went down real quick and New Japan pretty much took over uh, what it was, you know, what was left of it, you know. And TV Asahi and New Japan, big tag team, and All Japan Pro Wrestling, Jan Baba, and Nippon TV Channel 4, big tag team. So, therefore, two major leagues. It pretty much begins year 73 instead of 72. The company opened in 1972, but the, the, the real war didn't start until the following year. Does that make sense? That's right. Because, I mean, yeah. the TV really heated things up, didn't it? I mean, it was really... Oh, and by the way, what on uh, with New Japan and All Japan at that time, yeah. what days or nights were the shows on? Um, in 1973, mm. New Japan took over Friday night, 8 o'clock traditional time slot. Just different okay. channel, channel 10, TV Asahi. Mm-hmm. And all Japan, Nippon TV, which was traditional you know, wrestling channel from the right from the beginning from Ricky Dozen era, they switched the television time to Saturday night, eight o'clock. Hmm. Saturday, so Friday night and Saturday night, both nights, you know, they had wrestling on prime time. That's big. Okay, so. 74 TV with New Japan and Yoki. The company's heating up. 73. Um, yeah. Things are moving. Yeah. And then this is when he's Sakaguchi, really... Saka, Sakaguchi joining. Yeah. And, and Inoki and Sakaguchi, Sakaguchi had a yeah. yeah famous tag team. Right. That too. Yeah. And Sakaguchi was the one responsible bringing TV Asahi to Inoki. Therefore, they you know joined together. So how did that work with uh, with Sakaguchi? How did he get involved in everything? Well, Sakaguchi was the top guy for about eight months period with JWA after both Baba and Inoki left. They okay, still so had TV. Who was the, yeah, the they, last top guy they had before dissolving? Yeah, yeah. And also he was former um, world champion judoka, judo, you know, and he was golden rookie of the 60s. And he was like clearly number three underneath the Baba and Inoki. But all of a sudden, after Baba and Inoki left the left old JWA, they appointed Sakaguchi to be the guy. But Sakaguchi knew knew that the, this company was going down. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. As things were, and uh, he um he see, Sakaguchi's legacy has been so overlooked. You know, he, if Inoki didn't get this. TV Asahi deal that Inoki was in jeopardy. You know, first year he didn't have television, he didn't have any American talent. He did uh, Inoki against Korogach a couple times, you know, 
And uh, other than that, it's like they were using American wrestlers that I didn't even recognize, you know, the names, you know. And uh, without television, basically, like we said, that the New Japan didn't really exist in the public eyes. It was, it wasn't the establishment. It was, it was kind of the underground alternative to, to what was on TV with Baba in the main show. Yeah, and JWA. And, mm-hmm. and international, IWE had television too. So it's like, oh my gosh, you know, what happened to Inoki? He just disappeared from television. I mean, during the year 72. But the Sakaguchi, you know, and TV Asahi had a meeting that the, let's drop JWA and join New Japan and create the form, a new form of company. And that will go. Then by doing so, you can get rid of all the old farts <laughs> from the JW, JWA era. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because it was like a Ricky Do- the ghost from Ricky Dozan era, you know? The operation, the way they handle their money, the, the way they handle their 200 shows a year, um, you know, scheduling and uh, the connection to states and all these things that the, that the new generation should come in who were Sakaguchi and Inoki in that. In that. So uh, Sakaguchi actually had a big role to bring in TV Asahi deal into New Japan and Inoki, and they joined together, and it's a, it became a big force. And he's still with New yeah. Japan to this day, 50 years later. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And also, he, uh, Sakaguchi is so um, modest or humble you know, person that the, he wasn't really aiming to become star in that ring. But he wanted this New Japan wrestling business to success, I think. And so uh, he chose to be the lieutenant instead of wrestling star. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So his role has been really huge, although that his legacy has been so overlooked. But uh, during this uh, year of 1973, at the end of 1973, that uh, after Sakaguchi joined and New Japan became big and had a t- you know, TV Asahi deal. That was the year also that uh, Inoki beat Johnny Powers to become NWF World Heavyweight Champion. Mm-hmm. NWF. <laughs> kind of almost deceiving name because in, in Japan, NWA, you know, National Wrestling Alliance name has been so big. And uh, there was another you know, wrestling champion from America. His name is Johnny Powers. And Inoki's challenging for the, you know, for the title. And you, uh, in the 1970s, early 70s mindset, <clears throat> Japanese wrestler challenged some, um, you know, world title from America. He probably wouldn't win. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But uh, this time, he Inoki brought the championship from from America. You know, that actually existed in Ohio, right? NWF. Mm-hmm. Uh, he beat Johnny Powers in Japan. And he kept the title in Japan for the next seven years. And it became, yeah. I mean, it, when we think, when I think about or hear the name NWF title, you think about Inoki before. Johnny yeah, that, and the, the beautiful looking eagle uh, mm-hmm. championship belt. Huh? Kind of iconic and belt. That, yeah, and then also that was a design of championship belt that, that was famous around that time period that, you know, WWF title, you know, design was like that, that the, other, you know, like NWA tag team titles and all these, uh, like uh, Los Angeles titles, for some reason, all the championship belt design was like that, you know, that uh, golden eagle and uh, 
certain design. And, and, and yeah, NWF belt was Inoki's like really iconic thing, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you always see it in the pictures. You always see it in his really famous photos or on album covers or magazine covers. Yeah, more so than, you know, let on IWGP belt. Yeah. 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 Um, because, you know, there wasn't a belt for quite a while. It wasn't uh, with the IWGP championship. It was just the tournament. Tournament. Yeah. So we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. But the, the, so the real old Japan, new Japan, Baba Inoki media and television and wrestling war started in year 1973. And in the beginning of 74, it became really clear that that uh, what Inoki does and what Baba does, you know, the how to present wrestling became like, a, like almost like a two different world. March of 1974, following year, Inoki had this very significant historical title match against late strong Kobayashi. At the time, he was IW world champion, and he walked out of company to, to become free agent and challenging Inoki and Baba, right? And uh, it was, of course, storyline that the Inoki, you know, it was the deal was made that the Inoki and Kobayashi thing was going to happen, and Baba was going to just ignore it, right? But on newspaper like Tokyo Sports, Strong Kobayashi challenged both Inoki and Baba, and Inoki was the one who accepted the challenge, and Baba basically ignored it. Hmm. Yeah. But it was storyline that, uh, you know, we have to remember Inoki and, and Kobayashi deal was already made, you know, by the time they announced it, you know. And 74, that uh, Inoki against Kobayashi, that one champion against another, and both Japanese superstar, which hasn't been done for 20 years. You know what the 20 years is? Okay. Inoki Kobayashi first encounter was March of 1974. You rewind about 20 years, 1954, it was Ricky Dozan against Masahiko Kimura, the beginning of wrestling. Ooh. Yeah, so for the for 20 year period, they never had Japanese superstar against Japanese superstar matchup. In 50s and 60s, all the way till 1974, wrestling meant Japanese babyface against American heels. I mean, the basic format. Does that make any sense? So that's the uh, almost like a template or archetype for for Japanese versus Japanese wrestler setting. The, yeah, the, yeah. The first and uh, made, made look so important. You know, the who is the best or the this is the biggest wrestling match in history or something like that. And we all believed it, you know. And yeah, rightfully so, the Inoki against Kobayashi match was really historical. And it was a good match. And uh, Inoki beat Kobayashi with his famous German suplex. And uh, before, you know, VHS, way, I mean, decades before the internet, it was dec still decade before VHS VCR, right? But I clearly remember that that uh, this whole you know last five minute sequence from this Inoki Kobayashi match, you know Inoki uh, the Kobayashi post Inoki outside the ring, Inoki juices, and Kobayashi gets back in the ring first, 
gives Inoki you know, vertical suplex from the apron onto the ring, right? And then uh, Kobayashi gives the inverted, you know, backbreaker like you have Jesse Ventura type backbreaker. And Inoki, you know, it's got, we thought Kobayashi was going to beat. But Inoki lands and give him reverse suplex. Then both guys gets up, you know, get up like really staggered. Then Inoki gives Kobayashi Luthes backdrop, you know, the ballot to back suplex. Mm-hmm. Boom. Almost over, right? And need one more thing. Inoki gives Kobayashi German suplex. For sure thing, one, two, three. This <laughs> way, decades before, you know, VHS tapes. Uh, still, I can clearly play the whole sequence in my head uh, to this day. It's Crazy, like a, huh? uh, it's like a song or something. It's it's like a, and it's funny yeah, because well, yeah, of course I watched it over and over and over for the past 20, 30 years. But uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I thought it was interesting. Well, two things that are interesting. One, um, this was you know it was Inoki's big win, seventy four. But the way he won it was with a German suplex, which yeah. is. Carl Gotch's move, the guy who, of course, of course, yeah, the guy yeah, who, like the a, only guy to go to be wrestling, him. yeah. And um, and another uh, idea that I found kind of interesting, or you, once you're kind of studying it and paying attention, you notice that Inoki didn't really have just one signature move or one finisher. Uh, at the time, probably Octopus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But throughout his yeah. career, he he finished a lot of matches with a lot of different things, a lot of different moves. Um, it is a lot like you're reinventing yourself, you know, Thales thing that, uh, see, Inoki, uh, as he grew older, and it's really hard on him because he has bad neck, that he stopped using German suplex. And after, you know, after Muhammad Ali thing, his kick became more famous. Therefore, he invented uh, Enzigiri to be his finish. Mm-hmm. Like your, like your uh, switching music. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, Keiji Muto's Shining Wizard instead of Moonsault. See, Muto, everybody knows that he has such a bad knees, right? And he won't be using Moonsault every night. That uh, he needed to use leg sweep into figure four leg lock. Then he invented Shining Wizard as a finish. So uh, as you grow older, uh, your career, you know, going to your senior you know period that uh, you will change your finish i think you evolve with the time and with your body yeah yeah and as he grew older and older you know he started using sleeper hold for his finish too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah like e- kind of like easy physically easy on you huh yeah but believable and yeah but he does it so well like he means it well he meant it right mm-hmm. so uh yeah the German suplex, like, was like the sure thing finish when he was in thirty in his thirties. Nobody kicked out German suplex like they do now. When you see German suplex and bridges, one, two, three was a was a sure thing when I was a kid. Very protected move. The backdrop too, which uh, again was that's associated with uh, Ricky Dozan and Luthes. Luthes, yeah. Rick Dozan and Luthes, right, right. And also this strong Kobayashi, uh, Antonio Inoki single match was so important because they, you know, hyped it like uh, 20 years in making. Oh, well, they weren't there. But, uh, you know, they were talking about Rick Dozan against, you know, Masahiko Kimura, the beginning of Japanese pro-rest history. 
So that all things, all the all the pieces of puzzle was important. All right, wow, first time in 20 years, Japanese champion against Japanese champion. Wow, this is so important, right? And uh, yeah, so that was like a very very historical match. Uh, what John Baba did that year later on was that he won, he beat Jack Briscoe in Japan to become very first Japanese wrestler to be become NWA World Champion. That's a big, that's, big, big deal. Yeah, so that's how John Baba's you know counter. It's a different philosophy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same year, you know, you know, he had a single match against Kintaro Oki, another. Uh, kind of forgotten, but uh, historically very important that the Baba Inoki and Kintaro Oki were the original three musketeers in JWA. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the time, you know, when JWP went down, Kintaro Oki, uh, real name Kim Il, he went back to South Korea and became Ricky Dozen of that country. He opened pro- professional wrestling business there. He has a very interesting background or life story. Oh, Kintaro Oki himself? Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. Because when there was no diplomacy, he got on the boat and, and came into Japan as a like a uh, illegal Im- immigrant. And Ryuki Dozen and, and the politician saved him and uh, gave him visa to become wrestler. Very interesting. So, okay, we finished with um, Strong Kobayashi. That was a big, big match. But in 74, 75, there were also a lot of other big Inoki matches. Um, yeah, yeah. I uh, of course. Uh, I'm not sure what year yeah. it was, but Tiger uh, Tiger Jeet Singh, I think, Tiger was around Jeet this time. Singh. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Became um, you always needed your regular heel uh, mm-hmm. in, in New Japan. Anthony Inoki against Tiger Jeet Singh all year long, <laughs> almost. That's how I remember. You know, almost all year long. Whereas <clears throat> Jan Baba had Abdul the Butcher in his prime. Same method, Japanese baby face against big American badass um, heel. So it was like a Baba against Abdul the Butcher all year long, 74, 75, yeah, 76, all the way to like another five, six years, yeah, for that matter. I think these matches really start to show Inoki as a, a brawling, uh, wild kind of wrestler. More, more so than in the past. I mean, these matches right. are pretty to bloody. To be able to compete with somebody like Tagajit seeing the complete heel. What, what was interesting was though, in back in Toronto, Toronto, Canada, Tagajit Singh was babyface. So yeah. he was the uh, <clears throat> kind of the, their their star, their star babyface. And he, like a lot when of other wrestlers, yeah. would come to Japan and sort of switch their persona, switch their character. Yeah, but. Uh, Tiger Jitsin did this extra carefully that the, he, you know, back in 70s, what? The news travel so slow, right? Mm-hmm. So people didn't know that Tiger Jitsin was a big baby face in Toronto. And he, Tiger Jitsin did not want people to know that at all. So he uh, he made sure nobody knows, you know, what's happening in, 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 in Toronto or Detroit, for that matter. And... Uh, the, his mannerism, you know, the Tiger Jet scene, the crazy big rule breaking villain that, that it was exactly like what you see in Detroit uh, videotape from like the Sheik era. He worked exactly like the original Sheik. 
Did you know that? If yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious when you if you watch them back to back, of course, too. But I mean, it's a similar style yeah. where it's it's a, a non in ring style. It's it's uh, it's the wrestling brawl. You got to go in the crowd. You got to chase people. You have to throw and knock over chairs and whip your opponent uh, and the, also uh, uh, foreign object out of your tights at the time. You know, he has all kinds of stick or the bottle opener and other things hidden in his, in his trunks or mm -hmm. the shoes. Or he would he uh, takes, wrap, you know, his, wrap his yeah, um, fingers. Finger hands. Yeah, right. And back then, you know, juice, double juice kind of thing. I mean, big, you know, like a very almost primitive when you think about it now. But uh, at the time, blood meant heat, right? Sure, it was raw. Inoki, yeah, Inoki juiced and Tiger juice, juiced and a lot of times double juice. And Baba too, you know, the, uh, Abdul the Butcher, every match, almost bloody every match. And then Baba juice himself too. And then sometimes double juice, all these things, you know, was on primetime television. <laughs> you know, I guess that the TV like uh, standard criteria or the, there was no such thing as rated R or PG or G television was television then and when you think about it in eight eight o'clock on Friday night and Saturday night people are watching wrestling on television you know in your living room maybe maybe even be having dinner or something and you're watching something <laughs> so bloody <laughs> on television yeah. Would would that, you say that those are the sort of the seeds of deathmatch wrestling? Not just, I mean, it's all over the world. There's a lot I of other think examples. So because um, a little bit off the subject, but the mm. young young sixteen year old, seventeen year old Onita was sitting in the ringside being a ring boy. That's right in all Japan. <laughs> yeah, I take like a your water boy towel, you know, like a carrying you know giant Baba's costume, right, and washing Baba's back all those years. Onita's, yeah, deathmatch plant and seed was planted. He watched Terry Funk and he wanted to be like Terry Funk. He watched, you know, Onita's watching Abdul the Butcher and the Sheik. He wanted to be like that. And he became that, you know, 20 years later. That's another story for another day, but, you know, that's interesting, right? That's a very interesting. So we'll, we'll probably come back to when we talk about Baba down the road because he was yeah uh, when you watch 70s videotapes what's so interesting you have to pay attention who's uh seconding these wrestlers outside the ring like you are you know like a track you know track suit top and bottom you know like ring boys young fujinami the young riki choshu the young you know yoshiaki fujiwara the, all those guys are in the ringside <laughs> really yeah and i recently watched Second Inoki Strong Kobayashi match from December of '74, and uh, if you get the video, I, I have a link so I can I can probably send it to you. But uh, there's, um, like I said, there is no big mic promo in Japanese wrestling, right? No backstage skit. Kind of like your sport interview, like your football interview kind of thing, you know, network sportscaster will interview wrestlers coming into building and give short interview, but it was like treated like a real, you know, sports interview, not like your 80s, 90s promo in, you know, kind of thing. No big storyline or skit, but they did that in the ring. And what I'm talking about is this very beginning of this, you know, second Inoki match from December of 74. What they did was brilliant. <laughs> I mean, like, I, 
I watched it very recently after strong Kobayashi, you know, passed, you know, passed in, in December 30th of last year. And I went back and watched this, you know, you know, Kobayashi second match. The first match from March 74 was really, really famous, but the second match is just as good and so overlooked. Anyhow, very beginning of the match, Inoki gives two drop kicks, okay, to Kobayashi, two drop kicks, then body slam, boom, then cover, one, two, three, referee count three, right? This guy, whoa, Inoki beat him in 20 seconds, great, but Kobayashi's foot was on the rope, referee misses it, but this, you know, that the they rang the bell and then the match was over and people start throwing things into the ring like bottles or garbage or what you were eating or <laughs> uh, rice ball, everything they threw into the ring and then and all these people came in. It was a misjudge. Referee made mistake. And such a simple storyline, right? But it was at the time, <laughs> it was so much heat and Kobayashi got up and got so mad. And the three referees, the executive all came into the ring and they had a real quick discussion. They, they were, you know, they restart the match. Then people popped. Kind of something simple, but you just have to watch it, you know, because it's so believable. It was, so I, believable. I've, I, I've seen the match. I'm familiar with it. And it's, it's amazing to see how people react. It, I guess it's not the same, but... You could compare it to when Brock Lesnar beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania. It was a very unexpected finish. Right, right, right. Of course, there did, what happened were different, and and uh, Inoki and, and Kobayashi would it, have yeah. a, a longer match afterwards. Like that right, wasn't right. a complete finish. So, yeah, but it, you believed it. You know, the match was over in twenty seconds. Inoki beat Kobayashi one, two, three. But clearly, from that, what you were watching from the television screen. Kobayashi's foot was on the rope, but referee didn't see it. And then big heat on referee, right? It's, a, it's all classic. I mean, a very basic formula to put heat on somebody. But at the time, oh, that looks so believable. It hadn't been done before. You have to you just go out of your way and watch this one. Right. Oh, now that they do referee bumps and, uh, you know, do things behind referee's back or just like you're royal rumble just a few days ago that you know the when referee knocked out from you know from f f5 that roman reigns coming in and give brock lesnar his spear and then bobby lashley covers and you know one two three and beat him and win the title and much heat on who heat on who right and then paul Heyman turning on you know brock lesnar and then walk out with Roman Reigns. They do that so much that you get so used to it, you know. But in mid-70s, they did that so seldom that worked so much better. Does that make sense? Mm. It's, yeah. uh, I mean, we were talking about TV earlier. There's so many, in, in today's wrestling, there's so many different, um, there's so much pressure to keep doing interesting things. Doing things interesting things, putting out content, going. putting out TV yeah, shows. Yeah. So um, New Japan, for it's example. Just like other, yeah, like a lot of American fans talk about today's New Japan product, right? They do so many angles and the referee bumps and, you know, that the bad guy, you know, heel manager running and do bad things and the ref put heat on referee and the referee's not watching. And they, you know, a lot of the New Japan world, you know, 
the art today's new japan audience are kind of like a beginners therefore they just you know the the product is catered to more of a uh like a beginner art type audience but they do so many american style angles that uh it's not really working anymore or something right I know that in the uh, English speaking sphere, uh, I yeah. don't know. I don't know anybody who I, I, most people are really not into it. If you look at right, social media, right. they're, they're almost like violent against uh, House of Torture and, and Dick Togo and uh, yeah, just, right, right. Because um, well, for one thing that the, the podcasters and, and uh, whatnot, uh, internet um, wrestling journalists, today's wrestling journalists are so, I mean, numbers are not big, but they're so vocal about it, right? Yeah. 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 And then they also expect Japanese wrestling camp, you know, companies do more Japanese oriented finishes, just straight finish, compete, and a good match and clean finish. And yeah, I admit that the Japanese wrestling is leaning towards more and more to American type finishes, huh? Yeah, but New on, Japan is New Japan is. But on the one hand, um, it's hard to because it's in a different language. It's hard to express uh, when a crowd in Japan is enjoying. Uh, a product or is enjoying a wrestler right. or a different match. reaction and different facial expression and different reaction you know, overall mm-hmm. and, uh, and also different generations of wrestling fans like you know 70s wrestling fans in japan 80s wrestling fans in japan 90s wrestling fans in japan uh, you know 21st century wrestling fans in japan uh, kind of different too yeah now correct me if i'm wrong but my impression is that while Right now, people are not a fan of evil in his matches because of the, you know, the, the same right. interference. Pattern. Yeah, uh, over and over. But yeah. in Japan in general, to me, it seems like he's pretty popular. New Japan wrestler is one of the he really is popular with evil. the fans there. Yeah. And also today's wrestling fan understand wrestling as it is. You know, that's how it is. OK, OK, you know. That, you know, I think 90s wrestling fans and, you know, two year 2000 wrestling fan, which is what, already 20 years ago, that they went home and thought about it for a little longer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Why did they do what they did, right? And this generation can watch again and go back to it again and again. Yeah, and then also don't even think about yeah, don't even think about it, you know, and then because in nineties into two thousand, after you know, group of wrestling fans in Japan, you know, went to watch some big shows, they would go to bars or restaurant or something with those friends and talk about what you just saw all night long. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It was a different time for sure. Yeah, whereas today's wrestling fans. You know, just as soon as you leave the building, that was over. You know? There's and something else on. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. And or you will probably find quick answer on, on the internet. Somebody will give you the answer why they did what they did. There right. shouldn't be an answer. Wrestling give you just hints in the results. that. Uh, but we wrestling fans 
have free kind of a freedom to you know understand and interpret you know what happened and how you feel about it you know not like you can find quick answer on the internet the next second you google you know or something it's all different almost like a different human being <laughs> yeah yeah we're in the in the processing stage we're right in the middle i don't know where it's going but it's definitely it's different from where Inoki's uh time period and baba's time period what was going on there um, yeah yeah things yeah things move you know a bit bit, bit slower but mm -hmm. people remember it you know clearly that uh, before vcr you know you just have to memorize a lot of things and really sit down and think about you know what you think of it you know or or what you get out of it mm -hmm. and in japan of course reading reading about it in the papers and in the magazines right that too that too reflecting right, right. on it reflecting on it i think is the the idea yeah. of the word but um so yeah and this is okay so back to you know 74 75. 74 so yeah so inoki and kobayashi single match was so important the same year in december when inoki was doing the second round of inoki kobayashi match after he returned from wwe see kobayashi had a long nine-month tour in new york and had this you know great wwf run and came back fresh with you know new mustache and a different look and a different attitude they had a second match right and he really Same had the the traditional american heel style down especially when he had that match with enoki he's a and the I, second in, time yeah i mean yeah he he was uh on the tv show kind of regularly if you go if anybody goes back and watches those what, pennsylvania allentown pennsylvania oh uh, okay tv okay. tapings he was uh yeah, he was on the show i remember yeah, that he you can go back funny, and watch stuff he was he uh, too you know like a traditional yeah. his tights with yeah, barefoot, that's right barefooted. yeah yeah so like he mr fuji this, yeah, right. Exact same costume. So, well, well, Vince McMahon Sr., you know, wanted that kind of look. Mm -hmm. But in, oh. back in 1970, he had a long AWA run, too. Was, uh, you know, speaking of McMahon, was Vince McMahon Sr. at that Inoki and uh, Kobayashi match? Not that match, but he came in a month later. It was uh, uh, May, May of 1974. All of a sudden, Vince McMahon Sr., Vincent James McMahon, the senior, came to New Japan and congratulated Inoki for winning World League mm. and announced that the partnership, New Japan Pro Wrestling and WWWF at the time. Yeah. It was so interesting that... to us because Inoki finally signed the deal partnership with American establishment. If Baba goes with NWA and AWA, that Inoki had you know, signed a deal with WWWF. That was a big move. Yes, right. That was the same year, 74. And uh, uh, that the New Japan and New York uh, WWWF partnership would last all the way till like 1985. So That's right. Partnership, yeah. It's um, pretty amazing to think about it. The, the fact that both companies are still active and and that they actually had a history 10 uh, 10 plus year history Part, yeah yeah partnership yeah it's, it's, today's new japan isn't inoki's new japan and today's wwe isn't vince mcmahon senior's wwe you know it's, it's different generation but it's same company that's amazing 
same bloodline, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Well, all Japan today's all Japan pro wrestling isn't exactly Giant Baba's all Japan pro wrestling, but it's the same bloodline, and they they still use exact same logo and has triple crown. So that's, that's very right. interesting. Yeah, yeah. kind yeah. of like Stardom and uh, and uh, all Japan all women. Japan women. Yeah. Yeah, like not exactly, too. but the same idea. Yeah, that's the same heritage kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, uh, and also we have to point out that uh, all Japan today's all Japan still have spring traditional tournament champion carnival. Remember? Mm -hmm. Like their G one. And also, yeah, and in in December they have real world tag team tournament every year. I mean, like a forty plus year history. The reason in 1974, Inoki started revival of World League. The World League was actually Ricky Dozen's famous tournament during, uh, uh, you know, late 50s into early 60s that every spring you bring in like 10 American superstar champions to, to do this spring traditional tournament thing. It was called World League Championship Tournament. And... Inoki revived that uh, World League tournament in 74 and he invited Vince, Vince McMahon Sr. And on, on final, Inoki beat Kuro Kuro Krupp, the Nazi character, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, Kuro Kuro Krupp to be the first winner of this revival. Uh, World League tournament because I already started first annual champion carnival in spring. So always like what what Baba did, Inoki had to do it, and what Inoki did, Baba had to do it. You know, just always going back and forth with no communication. But you can tell what you know what Inoki did. Baba had to you know encounter you know like a counter with something bigger, and Inoki does something again, and Baba has to do something again. And it was like this for the next 20 years. Hmm. I mean, but not just him, but the companies and also the network television that, that was with them. Yeah. See, when Baba, Baba has Abdur the Butcher so big as heel, Inoki had to make, you know, the Tiger Jeet scene so big that uh, they, you know, the, the NWF title went back and forth, you know. Tiger G. Singh beat Inoki for the title, and then Inoki beat Tiger G. Singh again, and you know, for the NWF title. And Baba did the same with PWF title, Pacific Wrestling Federation. Now, another F Federation title. See, Inoki's NWF title and Baba's PWF title is, was really confusing for kids like me. Yeah, especially if the uh, companies didn't actually exist, like uh, PWF. Oh, that was a Lord James Blair's from Hawaii, so we believed there was a big office in Hawaii. Because <laughs> he always came in from Hawaii and read the commissioner's, you know, like title match statement, recognized this match as uh, official Pacific Wrestling Federation title match uh, uh, that uh, recognized by Pacific Wrestling Federation and sanctioned by NWA National Wrestling Alliance. We all believed it. Yeah. Yeah, it was a nice, sophisticated touch. Even you know what, uh, Dory Funk Jr. still, uh, still he does that, that to, to this day. Yeah, he did it he is last the year. Of PWF. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, if he wasn't pandemic, yes, Dory Funk 
Mr. Dorifan could still be here and reading that statement. And uh, speaking some Japanese. Matter. Oh, he does. Yes. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Uh, and and he, also, he's, hmm. uh, Dory Funk is uh, such a big name that uh, after he dropped NWA World Heavyweight title to Harley Race for the for the final time, that's when Dory Funk started coming to Japan like every month. Yeah. So first with JWA so, and then with yes, with JWA and also it was uh, publicized that Dory Funk and Terry Funk and. Uh, at the time, yeah, right by then, Dory Senior passed away, but uh, it was Dory and Terry Funk that, who booked all these American top talent to all Japan. So you're the baby face, as it is, yeah. We should yeah. also, whereas, yeah, whereas Inoki didn't have really you know, American partners or didn't publicize it, you know. Yeah, he had them later, not yeah. until the WWF relationship. But what I wanted to mention, I think around this time too, is when. Inoki also wrestled Andre the Giant. Yeah, starting 74. Uh, it was, I think, the part of the Vince McMahon senior deal. Vince McMahon already had exclu exclusive contract with Andre the Giant. Okay. Well, Vince senior made him Andre, you know, that gave him Andre the Giant name. Until then, he was Monster Rushmoff, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, in, in in Montreal, he was what? John Ferre? Yeah. Giant, giant John Ferre, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But he gave, Vince Sr. gave Andre, Andre the Giant name and signed the contract that year, you know, either 73 or 74. And starts, he knew that Andre should not stay in one place too long, right? He, you know, he's under. Uh, Vince Sr.'s contract, but Vince Sr. choose to send Andre to all over the territories, you know, who appear in Dallas, appear in Florida, he would wrestle in Tennessee, you know, maybe not Tennessee, but he would wrestle in Hawaii, he would wrestle in, in California, he would come into all these different territories all through the year. And every time Andre make an appearance, that would become their extravaganza supercard in where you live. And usually super heavyweight battle royal, and Andre wins and leaves. And in the meantime, Andre will be touring with New Japan maybe four, five, six times a year. That's where he kept him, you know, basically. And Inoki was the only and the first, I think, promoter to use Andre as a heel. And you know, can you imagine? Andre the Giant in his prime working heel, walking into Japanese audience crowd like a big monster. <laughs> we had to run for life. <laughs> he was he was a giant. He was bigger than Baba. He was huge. He was yeah, huge and back. heavier than Baba and didn't have bad knees yet. And didn't have bad back yet. And he really worked. Like he had this, you know, big splash, big, you know, like a frog splash off second rope. Andre doing it. And, you know, he... Uh, Andre both in his prime, you know, throwing that the uh, suplex in each other, and uh, Inoki doing the short arm scissors like in a key lock. Mm -hmm. Inoki pick him up on his shoulder and walk around, and he did. They uh, they did a lot of that you know, spectacular things. Of course, Inoki body slammed him, and there was a you know, <laughs> to this day, people still discuss how many wrestlers have body slammed under the giant, right? 
mm. it was a big deal, such a big deal. You know, of course, how Kogan did that, and oh, all the way to what the later on ultimate warrior you know beat under the giant in like a couple of minutes every night but that was real sad state but uh, in his prime not too many wrestlers body slammed under the giant right that was like a almost like an urban legend right it was the basis of, when, of uh, a lot the early wrestlemanias it was the big storyline oh yeah well, that the wrestlemania 3 finally yeah when he turned heel on hulk hogan but his more you know, Cardi, Afro-like hair, you know, Big Andre going to different places, go, went to Mexico and connect body slammed him, uh, went to um, Australia, somebody body slammed him, went, you know, Andre went to Germany and guy Roland Bach body slammed him or, or all the way to maybe somebody like Giant Kamala, you know, when I spoke his mass superstar, Bill Easy, he said he body slammed him in North Carolina too. And Harley Race, of course, but only about seven, eight wrestlers who body slammed under them. Young, strong Kobayashi body slammed uh, uh, Monster Rushmoff in, in, like in, in early, early 70s. But the body slamming under the giant was such a big deal, right? Mm. Ricky Choshu, too. Oh, in 90s, yes. Um, oh, like, oh, in the 80s, yes, yes. And uh, the strong Kobayashi and, and Giant Rusumov, that was in the IWE, right? That was with the right, international right. wrestling. Yeah, tournament final. Monster Rushmoff against strong Kobayashi was a tournament final before uh, before Kobayashi walked out of the company and joined Inoki. But uh, that was the same year. And under the Giant uh, of his first New Japan tour, he made comment that uh, uh, Kobayashi and I had a match. Kobayashi was very strong. He will Inoki. So it's like, wow, as a kid, you believed it, right? Some people think Kobayashi is going to be Inoki there. Oh, wow, right? <laughs> Storyline so simple sometimes, you know, then, you know. Simple times. Yeah, but uh, it made a lot, lot more sense, it seems. Yeah. But uh, those were the 74, 75. It was a very interesting year, you know? Oh, and 75. Yeah. 75 was okay. also the uh, Bill Robinson match. Right, Billy Robinson against Antonio Inoki, who is the best in the world type match. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 60 minute. Uh, I can, yeah, I, I, I watched the, the you know, videotape over and over. And so it's like, I forgot how I felt first, but the, it was 60 minute, two out of three fall match. And the first fall didn't come in until like a 44 minute mark, <laughs> you know? It was a, I guess you could call it a really high level, high technique type of match for the time. Oh, the catches catch can, and mm -hmm. they have the somebody in common that the young 14 year old Billy Robinson trained with Carl Gotch in Wigan, England, uh, that the snake pit gym uh, when he was 14, 15. And also Inoki, of course, famous Carl Gotch people, right? So there were, there was this, there were this, Strong catches, catch can, Lancashire wrestling. I mean, no nonsense. The real pro wrestling image to it, you know, because those were the time Inoki was using this, you know, um, idea that Inoki's wrestling in New Japan pro wrestling, pro wrestling is real, real. And what you see on Baba's television, ah, you don't know. It's like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Giving strong hint. Baba's wrestling is phony and and 
Inoki's wrestling is real deal. Then a lot of people believed it though then. Because yeah. Babo's style was more associated with international style, the American style, which always had yeah, moves slower, bouncing off the ropes. Uh, yeah, big boot. Mm-hmm. So comedy, yeah. you know, a, a little bit more of a show. But Baba was the one who was having important single match with important American superstars all mm. along. See. J- all JWA didn't give give Inoki chance to, you know, have single match against people like Bruno San Martino, the Gene Kaniski, the, you know, whatnot. I mean, who, who was world champion at the time? It was always Baba who had the position or who hosted uh, those existing world champion from America and have important title match at the baseball stadium type setup. Yeah. So there's clearly difference, you know, that Inoki being underdog, you know, that, the, you know, oh, this is Inoki episode number three. So we should talk more about, you know, but uh, we got to talk about see, uh, Giant Baba, you know, in ba- Baba episode, because you and I talked about that before. It seems like that uh, for American fans or today's wrestling historian, Inoki is a lot more popular than Giant Baba, right? But in Japan, those two superstars were, has always been equal, equally popular. See, there's Inoki fans, but there are strong Baba fan and All Japan fans. Seriously. Like These two, two philosophies. Are, like two different leagues, two different wrestling. And I was kid wrestling fan, like reading wrestling magazine you know every page back to back number of times because there aren't too many of them that you have to reread again and read everything and watch everything and want to know everything about it but i always wish that baba's american talent you know who, who are all coming to old japan they would come to new japan and have match against inoki that didn't really happen see you see how we have the funks the Hardy race, the uh, male maskers or whomever was you, the American superstars you read on magazine, they all come to old Japan, you know, whereas Inoki had, you know, bloody match against Tiger Jitsing all year long, <laughs> you know. Then Inoki against Japanese superstar like Kintaro Oki or war, during the World League tournament in New, you know spring tournament in New Japan, you have Inoki against Kobe, uh, Inoki against Sakaguchi, Inoki against Kobayashi again, Inoki against Kintaro Oki, Inoki against all these Japanese roster. So it was more of like a right who, who's better and I mean, a better man win kind of you know situation. Whereas 1975 December of 1975, Baba had a uh, that this uh, one-time tournament called Open Championship Tournament. He brought in, you know, Dory Funk, Hardy Race, of course, Abdur the Butcher, but you had Dick Murdoch, uh, Dusty Rose as Texas Outlaws, the younger version of Dusty Rose and Dick Murdoch, Ken Mantel, uh, NWA Junior Heavyweight World Champion at the time, Hiro Matsuda, the the former world champion, Pat O'Connor, the Mr. Wrestling, Tim Woods, the Don Leo, Jonathan, the, all those big, huge names came in all together and had the mini tournament in December while Inoki was having one-man single match, Inoki against Billy Robinson the same month. That was very interesting. In fact, it was the same night 
one building, Sumo Palace, had Inoki against you know Billy Robinson, and drive about five miles at the Nippon Budokan. Baba had that you know Ricky Dosa Memorial Open Tournament, you know big huge match, same night, about five miles apart. So what were the crowds like? Would the crowd were the crowds oh, split both, both or ten thousand? Yeah, both drew ten thousand people. Would you yeah. say the makeup of the crowd would be uh, just general pro wrestling fans, or were there people that were, um, you know, pure New Japan fans or loyal All Japan fans only? Oh, it's really hard to say. Yeah, it's mm. really hard to say. It was always like TV Asahi, you know, show against Nippon TV show almost. Mm -hmm. But Baba had more. Um, establishment feeling because Ricky Dozen's you know family you know attended the Budokan shows. IWE sent their wrestlers like Russia Kimura, Mairi Inoue, the great Kusatsu, they participated in an open tournament and international feeling. Yeah, Dick Bayer, the destroyer was in Japanese side and they used the traditional a Ricky Dozen trophy they brought in the old, you know, like antique trophy to the building. And uh, yeah, Inoki Billy Robinson was like a one match show, but same night though. Yeah, so uh, that was very interesting. Yeah, December of 1975. Yeah. And from there, I think. I, I think it was around this time too. Uh, it was Inoki's first match with uh, Ruska. The judoka from Europe. Uh, February of 1976. Yeah, oh, so not, not soon, pretty soon after. Yeah, uh, the yeah February of 1976 and June of 1976 historical Inoki against Muhammad Ali happened. Oh, oh, yeah, that's big. Should we should we uh, talk about that now or should we save that for the beginning of the next? Well, well no, we can talk about Muhammad Ali thing because. Yeah. It actually, you see, now that the, 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 like I just said five minutes ago, most today's wrestling journalist, wrestling journalism or the historian feel that Inoki and Bob has always, always been equal, right? I don't think it was equal until 1976. Bob was bigger star until 1976, until Inoki had a historical mixed martial arts also the beginning of mma right now mm -hmm. that hindsight that inoki and muhammad ali made inoki world famous because he was broadcasted in all over the states it, not before the pay-per-view but he was uh, closed circuit uh beaming television or whatever they were calling it they beamed the live feed into America was using satellite and they broadcasted the Inoki Ali match at all the movie theaters in United, all over states. The only time they used satellite for sport was like Olympic, right? Mm -hmm. And the Inoki Ali match kind of changed the, 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 the course of business. And not just the Vince McMahon senior affiliate, but the, you know, you had the the Florida NWA, the Texas NWA, the uh, Los Angeles Mike Labelle NWA, even AWA territories in Minnesota and the Midwest, they all carried this Inoki Muhammad Ali, that the uh, closed circuit, you know, feed to make a business. 
they ran wrestling card in conjunction to that. You know, the same night at the Chicago International Amphitheater, AWA Vernganya had the big show, you know, that uh, Vernganya against Nick Bakwenko and the Dick the Bruiser Crusher against Black Jacks or somebody like that. And they, they had this, uh, they lined up big show conjunction with Muhammad Ali Inoki match. So it happened all over the States that day. But people didn't understand that, that the content of how important the content was that they thought it was really boring, right? Because Inoki laid there and kicked Muhammad Ali's legs the entire time. But there was Muhammad Ali's people who didn't want him to wrestle because they didn't, they went, it, it was not work. It was complete shoot match, the beginning of MMA in hindsight that uh, Ali, Ali's people came to Japan. He didn't come in all by himself. Of course, boxing, uh, when you have world title boxing match, you have 20, you know, your, of your guys, right? You know, entourage, you know, the, 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 whole, the whole team of Muhammad Ali came to Japan and they felt, they thought it was going to be just, a, you know, what you think of professional wrestling. You know, when are we going to rehearse? And you know, these people say, there's no rehearsal, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, and it's a no, then we're going home. No, 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 don't go home. And they, uh, they had the rule meetings every night. Don't let Inoki wrestle. Do not, you know, in, let Inoki use those dangerous martial arts, uh, kick and chops and uh, the, the no headbutts, no wrestling hold, you know, no wrestling on the mat allowed. And it's just like, or we go home. And then just Inoki's people and TB Asahi just had to make the match happen, right? So much money and, and network time and budget went in. And uh, it wasn't going to happen even after Ali's people came in. But uh, somehow, somewhat, somehow the, the match took, took place. And uh, they went in without rehearsal. And uh, Inoki did what, what he had to do, you know, or what he could, that he couldn't wrestle, he couldn't grapple, and uh, what can you do, you know? And uh, he, he looked at the rules that, uh, okay, he could lay there and actually kick Ali's legs the entire time. And that's far enough that he's not going to you know, hit you. And it was like a well thought out strategy. And at the time, audience or the world audience or the wrestling audience, none of us are educated enough that, uh, that this is what's going to happen in real fight situation. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. There was no, there was no comparison yet. I mean, there were right kickboxing tournament. That's not the same though. That's, it's still a sport. It's still, um, Mixed yeah, the kickboxer, yeah, yeah, the kickboxer against kickboxer, yes, but the professional but boxer yeah, like the Ali against professional wrestler, Inoki wasn't about to box, and Ali wasn't going to wrestle or let him let Inoki grapple, and he wasn't going to let him use elbows or, and not even gonna let Inoki hold you anywhere in your body. What can you do? You know, and then they were all, you know, you know, the Ali's people all ready to pack up and leave, you know, and uh, yeah, the match had to, had to take place. And also it's almost a urban legend 
but uh, uh, Ali's asking price was like uh, anything, even the one dollar above six million dollar, six million dollar at the time, 1976, six million dollar. That's a lot of money, right? It's a lot of money. A lot of money in 1976, yeah, and also it became you know from his you know Ali's joke. Do you, if you remember, uh, the real famous television show that was really popular at the time, Six, six Million Dollar Man, mm-hmm. yeah. Steve Austin, <laughs> right, right, right. Steve Austin was the main character's name, not Stone Cold, no, no, but uh, yeah, who, who, whatever majors, yeah, that uh, yeah, Lee Majors, right. Six million dollar man was a big television show, and the six million dollar meant it was like a astronomical figure, right? At the time, mm-hmm. so Ali said, "All right, any even one dollar uh, that the, anything above six million dollar, I'll take the fight." Then Japanese uh, television and Inoki's sponsors and New Japan Pro Wrestling took it seriously and gathered up. Uh, Six million dollar and another hundred thousand on it, and uh, I guess all these people had to take the fight. The, it all started in one conversation uh, Muhammad Ali had with uh, wrestling uh, Olympic wrestling chairman uh, Mr. Hatta uh, Hachiro Hatta. Uh, is there any Japanese challenger? Oh, I don't think so. Kind of thing. There was a uh, the, there was a conversation. There was no heavyweight Japanese boxer at the time. You know, when you think about you know professional boxing, Japanese boxer with the bantamweight or you know super welter at tops. You know, not even the middleweight, and let alone you know heavyweight boxer that never existed. You know, at the time. Anyhow, that uh, so Muhammad Ali spoke with you know Hach, you know Hachiro Hatta that the chairman of Japanese Olympic wrestling. So we never have Japanese challengers, ha, 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 right? And that became the print. You know, one of the newspaper that uh, reported that uh, Muhammad Ali is seeking out Japanese challenger, heavyweight. Then Inoki took it. It's a, hey, this is money. And then Inoki, you know, sent his, you know, feeler to Ali's people and, and this, you know, negotiation, the closed door negotiation started and this wasn't going to happen. They thought, Ali's people thought that the wrestling was all phony, right? Of course. And, uh, right, we can do, you know, a professional wrestler against, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali match for charity. Great, right? Charity, right? Fine. But, uh, no, it was Inoki's idea to have match single match against Muhammad Ali and broadcasted all over the world. It was only just you know five six months after the Kinshasa's miracle. Remember, Ali just came off of George Foreman fight, his biggest match. Remember, it was probably the only option Inoki had to try to get more popular than Baba, who was just so popular at the time. And also a worldwide name. Mm-hmm. All these wrestling promoters in America until 1976. See, Baba was a man. You know, when you, I'm talking about, you know, NWA chairman, Sam Machinik, AWA Vern Gagne, that the NWA Florida, the Eddie Graham, that the 
Dallas, Texas, Fritz von Eric, the you know all these uh, the Sheik, the original Sheik, the Ed Farhart from Detroit, uh, Toronto, that the Tunney family, that uh, all these huge NWA promoter all over America and Canada. When you thought, you know, w- w- when they thought about Japanese wrestling, Giant Bob was the only promoter. And Inoki who, right? Antonio who, right? At the time, really, that was Baba was the only establishment among this wrestling community in in America. When you think about Japanese wrestling, Baba was the only promoter worth talking about. Doing the mentality was Baba equals Japan, Japanese territory yeah, Japan. of Japan. Right, right. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And it was as if it was believed that uh, JWA went down and Baba took over. It, it wasn't like that, though. Baba walked out and created his, he started his All Japan Pro Wrestling, but the, all those details were forgotten. And American promoters believed that the JWA went down and Baba took over. Well, it looks like it, though. And now it, it does look like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, it- I, we're going to touch on all of that when we we hit on the Baba. We're the Baba gonna, Baba legacy, yeah. But yeah, tonight, cr- yeah. cross paths a lot, but um, that's right. But the Muhammad Ali fight was very important, and it became even more important forty years later. When you look back and watch forty-year-old Inoki Ali match in, in its entirety, this is what would happen. And when you don't have MMA rules to do MMA match. And what they did was so brilliant. Yeah. It was at the time it's like a, such a boring thing, you know? Yeah. But it was thinking like a if you were a pro wrestler in this situation, what would a pro wrestler do? Inoki seemed to be that persona 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And also it's crazy enough to go in the ring with somebody like Muhammad Ali. Mm, fearless. In his prime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you'll probably get killed, huh? It was, yeah. uh, I think that was part of the appeal too, is that no one knew what was going to happen. No one knew because there were, there was no MMA. There were, what, what could we compare it to? Right, right. That Inoki proved himself six months, you know, four months earlier against, you know, Olympic judo gold medal, William Rushka, and he beat him, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, it was work, I'm, I'm sure. But uh, Inoki can handle gold medal judoka uh, from Munich Olympic. That Inoki might be able to handle Muhammad Ali too. He's going to grab him and give him German suplex or something. Oh, my God, right? <laughs> I got excited. And it was actually for the States as a big market. You know, why? Yeah, I didn't understand at the time. This Muhammad Ali Inoki match happened Saturday morning at noon. Uh, no, actually, Saturday morning, 11 o'clock on Saturday in Japan. Mm-hmm. You know what that was? It's a 9 o'clock primetime Friday night in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and live feed, satellite feed into America. But the actual match took place in Nippon Budokan Saturday morning, 11 o'clock a.m. I didn't understand that. And at the time, though, when I was, it was, I was ninth grade, matches happening noon on television live, right? And at the time, we had morning class on Saturdays, you know, the Saturday you had half day in school. 
and I was ninth grade. Just as soon as the you know morning class was over, we all ran to home. You know, <laughs> we ran all the way home to watch Inoki Ali. <laughs> that was like we every kid my age, of course, every kid remembers that day. That was Saturday morning. We still had school, just morning. But just as soon as this morning class was over, we all ran to somebody's house or somebody's parents' house you know, to sit and watch Inoki against Muhammad Ali live. That was such a big deal. So <laughs> at the time, what yeah. was the general reaction to the match? What were, were people, what was, were they bored? Were fans into it? Oh, uh, until actual match, it was a big, huge deal. But like I said, nobody knew how to watch M MMA fight or the, uh, knew the concept of MMA at the time or simply boxer against wrestler type match, what can be or what could, you know, what can happen. And it was huge deal. And what they did was what they did. And... Uh, Every single regular newspaper, like Yomiuri, Asahi, Mainichi newspaper, every single, you know, network actual news carried it and bashed it like such a hype, no match. I mean, like a, like a day, really. <laughs> they, they just they bashed uh, it. Took, oh, pretty much. So. Big business, no match. It's a boring match or the fake. Or, I mean, they really use that word too. You know, what's going to happen? It was no show. I mean, like, I mean, it was like a big, big hype, nothing happened thing. It took them decades to under, you know, understand what really was, really. But the most people, you know, newspaper or the boxing critic or TV critics or sport critic, they all bashed it. Like, so much hype, nothing happened, kind of like that. They didn't have the eyes to witness, you know, MMA. wasn't educated. It just 30 years too soon. I'm hindsight, right? It was one of the first big experiments and what led to... Yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, after that, slowly but surely, but we uh, saw the evidence that... Inoki became big, huge name all over the world after that. Uh, that uh, evidently, if you remember the uh, Bad News Bears Go to Japan movie, mm -hmm. I mean, second one, the first one had Tatum O'Neill in it, right? Mm -hmm. The second series of uh, the uh, Bad News Bears movie, the Little League Baseball movie, the second one came to Japan, okay? And Inoki had part in it, 1977 movie. It came out 1978, but the young, the 34-year-old Inoki taking on, taking on, you know, kids. <laughs> there was a scene, but there's a trailer uh, that, that, you know, three-minute trailer on, on YouTube. Somebody put that up recently. Bad News Bears Go to Japan. That's a movie. Inoki has part in it. Yeah, that was the year after Muhammad Ali fight. Yeah, it was interesting. And he started making you know, more frequent trips to Madison Square Gardens on you know that point on. Mm -hmm. He uh, would be yeah. in uh, some of the upper card matches in Madison Square Garden, uh, Iron Sheik, um, 
Yeah, the first one was a Frank Monty or something like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Inoki against Buddy, so um, so. Uh, Buddy Rose. Uh, I was. I think it was a Larry Sharp. Larry Very Sharp. Similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also had uh, he had he made a lot of appearance at the uh, Olympic Auditorium in LA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Madison Square Garden, like a couple times a year, Inoki start making appearance. Yeah, and Inoki's guys. In '78, young Fujinami wins his first WWF Junior Heavyweight Title, beating Jose Estrada. Yeah, that was the beginning of Bob Backlund era. Yeah. Oh, the, and uh, we'll have to talk about him. In, yeah, very symbolic. Though, symbolic. Yeah. Yeah, because Bob Backlund, who was champion in 1979, 1978. Yeah, and then came to Japan. Inoki actually beat Bob Backlund in Tokushima to become very first Japanese wrestler to win the WWF title, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it was Baba beating Hardy Race or somebody at the end of the tour, Hardy Race will beat Baba again to win the title back and go home, huh? Mm. For Inoki's case, he didn't get beat. <laughs> and uh, that's another story for another day. It's going to take a couple of 20 minutes. <laughs> Not just a couple of minutes, but yeah, it takes a little while. But the, How about we, we'll start our next episode talking about yeah, uh, Inoki and Backlund. Yeah. Bob Backlund didn't beat Inoki to get the title back, but he had to go home. Yeah. It that was, was another uh, uh, urban legend among pro wrestling fans over here because it was never announced. It was always a rumor. It was printed in some magazines. Okay, that's but... in the videotape. Yeah, that the Inoki beat back Backlund for WWE title and then clearly won the belt in his waist. And he Inoki basically didn't return the title, and he he never lost. So the story storyline had to be uh, made. Uh, the very next Madison Square Garden, in, at the Madison Square Garden, it was announced Bob Backlund against Bobby Duncan was Texas death match. Therefore, no title was uh, was at stake, right? Mm-hmm. And in, in Japan, it was announced that the WWF title became vacant, right? That uh, the title was up for grab and Bob Backlund against Bobby Duncan will be that match to determine the now vacant WWF title. In the meantime, Inoki was in the building, but he, he had to defend his WWF martial arts title against Iron Sheik. Therefore, no Bob Backlund against Antonio Inoki in New York City. <laughs> That's right. They it was called the this. martial arts title, uh, international martial arts title. Martial arts title recognized by WWF, and he's Inoki's defending that title at Madison Square Garden that night against Iron Sheik. Therefore, no Bob and Inoki match. <laughs> that was like a very, very like a tight, real tight storyline. Yeah. <laughs> and they made sure that the, they had the video footage that the Bob, Bob Backlund going into the ring without the belt. Of course, it was Texas death, you know, Texas death match, so he wouldn't be wearing the heavyweight title. And Hisashi Shima, Inoki's manager, and also WWF figurehead president at the time, holding very new WWF title belt in that ring, as if it was vacant. <laughs> Oh, it was very tight that the, all the 
news, the Tokyo Sports Gang magazine, the baseball magazine, you know, pro wrestling magazine. All, all you know, sort of cooperate. And basically, Inoki didn't return the, the belt, you know. And for next decade or so, that uh, Vince McMahon, today's Vince McMahon, you know, Vincent Kennedy McMahon felt that uh, Inoki double-crossed his father. Very dramatic telling of the story. It's, it's, uh, but it's what happened. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's cover that next time. Okay. Next time we, yeah, we'll, we'll get into Backland. We'll get into the, the WWF relationship, which was, you know, becoming a big part of it. Uh, Inoki and, and how, yeah. And how Kogan was big star in Japan before he became big, huge superstar in America. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Yeah. Inoki had a, Big part in in that. Uh, we will also yeah. we got to talk about Stan Hansen inaugural, Yeah, inaugural IWGP tournament. The final was Inoki against Hulk Hogan. Yeah, mm. and Stan Hansen way he he stood. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we'll we'll start in the early '80s and we'll come back. I I don't know. If we think we're gonna have to do uh, more than five, I think we might have to. Is it? We are doing part three now. Part three, but we're only on 1980. <laughs> still right. about 40 oh, no, years. We'll make it into, no, 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 we'll do, you know, people get bored. So that we'll pack everything into five episodes. All right. We'll do our best. And actually, uh, thanks to everyone who's been listening over the past couple of weeks. We've gotten um, some nice feedback on Twitter. So thanks Thank to everybody. You. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you have questions, oh, we're having you... a great time. We're having yeah. a great time. We're motivated <laughs> because we're, this is a good platform to really get into get deeply into what happened it's always easy to to just read a line or two on wikipedia but it's not the whole story especially when it comes to the japanese oh stuff. wikipedia is written by some fans <laughs> it's who read by whoever what we've been writing <laughs> yeah yeah so uh but this time in Inoki's career is really exciting um the matches oh, are very great and actually if uh, anybody has new japan world which has most of Inoki's matches recently um Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton from New Japan uh, okay. English and commentary. I Inoki DVD box just came out, you know, with all the historical matches in there. Like Inoki against Dory Funk, NWF title match 69 and 70. Inoki against uh, Jack Briscoe before Jack Briscoe was NWF champion. Something, yeah, stuff like that. Inoki against Fritz von Erkene, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Some tape existed and survived, and some they didn't save, you know? So, I uh, I don't I didn't buy that DVD box. So I, I asked someone who is Inoki Inoki fan Inoki mania. <laughs> yeah. Is that available overseas or just in Japan? Uh yeah. Sometimes you know the DVD has thing called the region code, right? The That's right. American DVD cannot be played in Japanese DVD player and vice versa. But there is a little device that that can erase it. I don't know if it's legal or not, but the you know the region is a really tricky thing on DVD, but uh, and sooner or later you'll probably find it on not if not YouTube, but it is another thing called Motion. Daily Motion. Yeah, you can find more things on Daily Motion. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, are we allowed to say that? I don't know. Sure, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. If anybody you know, has a problem, YouTube. You know. Yeah, there's a you know group of people who's erasing all these tapes, right? Because it's yeah, not, I think that's the know, company, that's TV Asahi, and, and yeah, because it's not legitimate, you know. But uh, 
sometimes you'll still find a lot of important historical footage on YouTube if you look for it, you know, long enough. And daily motion too. Yeah. All right. So we'll, we'll have, yeah, we'll cover a lot of things again on our Inoki episode four, right? That's right. That'll be next week. So <laughs> okay. where can uh, people ask you questions or leave comments okay. for you? Uh, on Twitter, Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo, or Fumisaito on Twitter. And I'm also on Instagram, Fumisaito2001. But I'm not on Instagram that much. But uh, yeah, tw on Twitter or Facebook, uh, please send me a question or a friend request with some notes on it. And I mean, if somebody send me just friend request, I don't even know this person, so I may not be able to accept it. You know? mm. Yeah. And I'm on Twitter at Justin M Nipper K N I P P E R. Um, that'll be it for this week. So let me take it away. So long from Tokyo. I write that down. I write that down. I write that down. I write that down.